Alright, we met here for the purpose of worship, and certainly worship consists of many things, not the least of which is prayer. So uh, keep in mind we do have a prayer list over here t- to my left. And uh, I'm uh, uh, going to, by the way, before I forget, cancel Wednesday night because I've broken another part of that tooth off and I'm a little scared in case something happens. Uh, like my face swells up or something. I wish I didn't get it out of there, but we shall see. So uh, continue to uh, remember one another in prayer. Get the prayer list. Use the prayer list. There are numerous uh, uh, people on there who are in need of prayer. Remember Don and Dolly. I think they've gone to California uh, and have tra- been traveling or will be traveling. Uh, but uh, let's go to the Lord. Silent prayer first as we begin our service. Oh, it's good to have you three boys here. Isaac, Gabriel, and Israel. And... Uh, Hard to recognize them. They're just growing up on us. All right, let's go to the Lord in silent prayer and I'll close. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, Ken, come and lead us in a song, please.
Thank you, Kenneth, and thank you all for that fine singing. Uh, All right, with reference again to announcements, just to make it clear, we will not have our Bible study on Wednesday. Uh, We'll just have to see what happens with reference to the teeth or the tooth uh, and the root that has to come out on the other side. So what happens when you get old? One of the things, but, uh, uh, we'll get, we'll get through it all eventually, I'm told. All right, now with reference to, uh, another aspect of worship called giving, I think you know the drill, and that is to say we have place here, you can seek them out at the end of the service, and if you have something to give, you put it in the plate. But in the event you want to give and God hasn't blessed you, you can still give because we're going to have a moment of silent prayer and and uh, we're going to uh, have opportunity for you to give in the privacy of your mind at that particular point in time. All right, uh, with that said, uh, let's go to the Lord in silent prayer and I will close. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come together and and uh, to give. Now, I would ask a very special blessing upon both the gift and the giver. For I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Ken, how about another song? Number 152, stand sing the first, second, fourth verses.
Amen. Thank you, Kenneth. Thank you, Tommy. And thank you all for that fine singing. Uh, this morning we're going to tackle the doctrine of sanctification. So before we do, as is our custom, let's use 1 John 1, 9 as may or may not be necessary. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to uh, study your word. Guide us now and direct us for ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's begin with the preface, if you will. And that, uh, as you can see from point one in your lesson plan, is a definition of the English word sanctify. I picked the Encarta Dictionary for the it had five definitions to make something holy, to free somebody from sin, to bless something through religious vow, to officially approve something, and to make something a means of holiness. So as we will see later, there are three types of sanctifications occurring in the life of a believer and for lack of a better term, we classify them as phase one, phase two, and phase three. All right, now introduction. At salvation, eternal life is imputed to a regenerated human spirit. Some will say a new human spirit or a human spirit which you didn't have before. And of course, whether it's a new one or whether that's a rejuvenated one, the point is the same. There is an imputation at salvation of a rejuvenated human spirit. And you've all seen the chart, and we're going to look at the chart again, how the Holy Spirit teaches your human spirit when you're in fellowship. And uh, you will learn the Bible doctrine you're supposed to have uh, as you sit and listen to your pastor, teacher, or radio, or internet or wherever doctrines is coming from, if you will. All right, the result is what we call positional sanctification, uh, and that we will explain has how it differs uh, from other types of sanctification. But keep in mind, sin is not an issue here because all sin was imputed to and judged on the cross uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and certainly this includes the sins of both the believer and the unbeliever. And this is where sometimes we part company with certain denominations uh, because uh, all sin was taken care of. And we actually recognize, Christians recognize that because they go and they want to, want to witness to people that Christ died for your sins, you know. Uh, on all sin is the point, and it's very clearly stated in 1 John 2, 2. And the Calvinists do not believe in uh, that statement that he died both for the sins of the believer and the unbeliever. But uh, certainly when you look at John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2, and I'll read, And he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only but for the sins of the entire world. 
And of course, you might say, well, what is the issue? Then what is the problem if all sin was taken care of? Well, it's uh, our fact that we're not born again. Uh, we're ch- children of the devil as opposed to children of God. So it takes that rejuvenation. And in this particular chart, which is from one of Colonel R.B. Thames' books, is an excellent chart. Excuse me, you'll notice it has X category, Y category, and Z category. X category are our pre-salvation sins. Y category are our post-salvation sins. So that's for the believer, all taken care of. And then Z category, the unbeliever's sin. All were imputed and judged on the cross, and thus is we have what we know as unlimited atonement. In other words, the redemption solution. So salvation doctrine is clearly communicated to the believer by the Holy Spirit, and the believer becomes a possessor of plus R. In other words, we have minus R. Sometimes we can do some things which are pretty good, and that's minus R. But when you talk about plus R, you're talking about, of course, God's perfect righteousness, including all of God's essences. You recall, we have an essence chart, which we shall see eventually, uh, where there are ten essences. And God, of course, is co-eternal and co-infinite. And uh, uh, all His ten essences are the same. And we'll get to that later, if you will. All right, our new position in Christ is forever is a forever condition guaranteeing we will not see the lake of fire. At that moment when we become a child of God, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, we also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And from this point, our life has meaning and purpose. So by identification with our Lord's spiritual death, we are free from the indictment of spiritual death. Imputed at birth, of course, to our old sin natures. In other words, when we are born, we get an old sin nature and spiritual death is attributed to our, uh, our old sin nature. And we all have one. So at birth, you have uh, a problem. Notice Romans, and it's explained in Romans 5, 12, 13, and 14, and I shall read, it said, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, that would be Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, we are imputed. Spiritual death is imputed to the child of God when the child of, uh, I shouldn't say the child of God, uh, when the child is born. And uh, he must be born again, obviously, so that's where we get that particular statement about being born again. Uh, but eventually, of course, the child of God who hasn't sinned yet after the similitude of Adam, uh, but sin is imputed to that child. And, uh, of course, then some people have asked the question, well, then what about the baby that dies before it has opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And the Scripture answers that, particularly in an anecdote for, with David. Uh, when uh, David was bemoaning the death of his son with Bathsheba, and uh, they came to him and and told him the child is dead. And so he got ashes and he cried and 
But then when they came and or they told him, excuse me, I'll get the story right in a minute. When they told him the child was dying, then he was lamenting. He was rolling in the ashes and he was concerned. And then as soon as they came to him and told him the child died, he got out of the ashes, took a bath, got his clothes on, and was happy as a lark. And then they asked him about that. And he, of course, said... Uh, there's nothing I can do with that child now. Someday I will be with that child. And so that was a newborn baby. So you get the idea that he's going to be with his child who had died way before he had any opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course you probably would gather that because God is not a fiend. You'd have to make him a fiend otherwise. Uh, but uh, certainly you have evidence in Scripture that... Uh, from the anecdote provided in the scripture. So until the law of sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. So who is the figure that is Adam who was to come or was to come? Alright, now we have our chart of the old sin nature. We all have one at birth. We've had the doctrine of the old sin nature before. and We'll probably have it again. But you can see we have an area of strength at home plate. Uh, and that's where human good is produced. And then we have over here at first base the antinomian trend, the chaser, the boozer. And we have at second base the area of weakness, uh, Area of strength, of course, is human good, the good things that you do. Area of weakness is personal sin. Then you have asceticism over at third base. That's the person who tries to do good things all the time. I think the best, the best description of the person who is totally an ascetic with the person who goes into the monastery and makes copies all the time for, for one of the, the people who work there. All right, now let's go on to Romans 5.15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, that would be Adam, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. All right, then verse 16, we'll read through verse 21. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto, unto excuse me, unto justification. <clears throat> for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in the life by one, that is, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. But as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, Adam, so by the obedience of one many shall be made righteous, Christ. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. 
In other words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. All right, after faith in Christ, personal sin is no longer an issue since Christ on the cross took care of sin. That would be all sin. Notice Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then to make it clear, the next verse says, again, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, uh, certainly we know that Christ took care of all sin on the cross. And as a result of faith alone in Christ alone, we get what we call positional sanctification. So point eight, positional sanctification is all grace. That's all that God is free to do for you and for me on the basis of the cross without in any way compromising His integrity. And we do nothing for it. Even the most carnal Christians receive positional sanctification. Alright, notice 1 Corinthians 1-2 talking to about the Corinthians and you know their reputation Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Second Thessalonians 2.13, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath, from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And you have to understand the timeline to understand a verse like that. God has seen the timeline. He knows everything that you're going to do. He knows everything everybody is going to do. And He's seen whether or not you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ or not. Way back yonder before He invented time for mankind. Alright, John seventeen seventeen. Sanctify, set them apart, in other words, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Alright, let's look at a chart and two scriptures which will better help us understand the three types of sanctification. Phase one, phase two, and phase three. Alright, uh, that particular chart, how many times have we seen it over the years? We have a Y, a Z, and an X axis. And, of course, on the y-axis, you have the top circle. We often talk about top circle. And that's the positional sanctification. That's where we are because we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment, we become totally encapsulated. We were talking about the space program back there a while ago. Uh, and I did work on the space program for five years in California uh, where the space program started. And we begin to move the spacecrafts and the Saturn II and the Saturn uh, IV all the way to the, finally the Mississippi test facility where we tested the engines and then we put them on the Pearl River. And I was telling them about how to, had to write a contract and get a contractor to widen the Pearl River because we had to float it down to the Gulf, just the Saturn II, which is six stories high. And it is one of the, it is the, Next to the smallest stage, the big stage is Saturn One, which was made over in Alabama and it tested at the Mississippi Test Facility. 
Uh, it was a tremendous effort to coordinate all the contractors involved. We in Space Division started out, when I went out there the first day, we had 8,000 people in the division. And uh, within a year, we had 30,000. So we had a tremendous number of people. And you had various divisions in North America who were making various things for the spacecraft, uh, like autonetics and like Rocketdyne and uh, other divisions. And, of course, the lunar excursion module made by Grumman, it was tested at White Sands Missile Range, and I was responsible for that test site. But uh, we called it WISMER, White Sands Missile Range. All right, in, in New Mexico. All right, now let's go on. So we've got the, the positional truth. Uh, and I was, was about to get to the point I was going to make about positional truth, and that is we uh, you can't get out of the top circle. We had a one particular connector on the spacecraft uh, that was hermetically sealed, and uh, we uh, we called it Pookie. We put Pookie on it uh, so that you, you couldn't possibly uh, get rid of that. It was the one that gave you back back to the. Uh, Oh, trying to think who made the, the fuel cells, which were in the service module. Uh, it'll come to me before I, when I go to sleep, you know, I'm thinking, oh yeah, I remember that. But anyway, they made the, the fuel cells, uh, where you got the fuel, electrical power, uh, for the command module and the lunar and the lunar module and so forth. But it was one hellacious program. But, um, you can't get out, just like you couldn't get in there to get to that connector. And so you could say, well, how did you get, when you had to disconnect it, how did you do it? And we called it the guillotine. It was actually something that cut the cards in the event of an emergency and you wanted to and to do that. And that is to say, get rid of that particular connection. So much, men, for the space program. Now let's go on here with the... Go to the the x-axis. I think that's the most appropriate way to explain the chart. That's when we sin, we get out of fellowship. We're carnal. We name our sin back to God. We get temporal fellowship again. And when we are out of fellowship, we can't be taught. Uh, and we're usually under discipline in order, if that's what we need. Maybe we need a reward to get us back in fellowship, to name the sin back to God, to cite it to God. Uh, and then we, of course, have the Z-axis. We start out the Christian life as a baby. And uh, we have to grow. And we grow through the intake of the Word. And as we grow, we get capacity. Capacity for what? Capacity for both blessing and cursing. Or discipline, better said. Both uh, as, as capacity increases, now then we get capacity not only for blessing, but also for testing. Alright, so, so much for that chart. That also has something to do with positional sanctification. When we get into that top circle, then down here the Z and the X axis is, uh, when we're talking about end time sanctification, which we will get to, that's called phase two in this particular lesson plan. Alright, Romans 12, 1 and 2 gives you an idea about the, the uh, phase two sanctification. Uh, notice Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the only way you can do that, to present your body a living sacrifice, is to name your sin back to God 
You cannot gut it out and come to God and say, I have conquered the world now, no longer a sinner, no, no longer tempted. Well, you're lying. Uh, because first thing you know, you're going to sin. So you got to name it back to God. And uh, that's how you handle the first power option. Colonel R.B. theme called Romans 12.1, the description, the first power option. You name your sin back to God. But then you've got something else to do. you got to go to the Z-axis. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, which is to take in the Word of God. And therefore you can grow spiritually by using these two power options described in Romans 12.1 and 12.2. Alright, point nine in our lesson plan. Production in time is a result of phase two sanctification but does not produce sanctification. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So phase two sanctification is how we get ready to do the things that God would have for us to do. Uh, we're His workmanship. We were created in Jesus Christ under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So they were already produced. They're up there in heaven right now. But God wants you to demonstrate them in time. He wants you to make them known in time. And that's what you do when you take in the Word of God under the filling of the Spirit. You produce that which has already been done. Uh, and that's clear in, uh, again, Ephesians 2.10, which God hath before ordained. In other words, there are tons of good works in heaven right now that are waiting to be displayed in time when you get phase two sanctification which comes through naming your sin back to God and taking in the Word of God. And James one twenty one describes it a little differently. It says, Wherefore, or therefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, sin and evil. Just a nice way of saying that. And receive with meekness the engrafted Word. And the engrafted Word, engrafted there could be pregnant Word. In other words, the Word is capable of producing that which God knows about way back yonder in eternity past. And it's able to deliver your souls. I'm not talking about salvation here, but talking about deliverance in time. Alright, the purpose of phase two sanctification is to maximize the flow of blessings from God's justice to the believer because this glorifies God. Amazing, isn't it? Our production glorifies God. Phase 2 also sets up another a fortiori. In other words, if you can do the uh, difficult, you can certainly do the easy. Because if God can provide blessings in time, right smack in the middle of the devil's world, He can with ease provide phase 3 sanctification, which is ultimate sanctification. In other words, blessing in eternity. So that leads us to phase three sanctification. And it's called by many people ultimate sanctification since it's the eternal status of all believers. A believer can never lose his or her phase three sanctification. Phase three sanctification is what we often refer to as pie in the sky by and by. 
All right, now let's take a look at the etymology of the various words entitled, or translated, excuse me, uh, sanctification. In the New Testament, the verb translated uh, sanctify is hagiazo. The Greek verb has four cognates. Hagias, uh, that's a nominative singular format of the noun form. And then hagiasmas, hagiates, and hagian. And let's look at each one. First of all, hagiazo appears 28 times, where in the KJV it is translated hallowed, that sanctify, be holy, sanctify, or sanctification. Notice Luke, notice Luke 11.2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed. That's hagiazo, set apart. Just as we are to be set apart when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is to be set apart. His name is to be respected. Uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. And then in Matthew twenty three nineteen, you fools and, and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifies, sets apart the gift. Talking, of course, to the misuse of, of uh, the, the altar itself. All right, now John ten thirty six, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest. Because I said I am the Son of God. Again, accusations made toward our Lord and Savior. And it's the Lord Himself who has sanctified the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world and his, and the world believed Him not. But as many did believe Him, to them gave He power to become the Son of God, even to them who believe on His name. So He came unto Israel, Israel rejected Him. But as many as did believe, of course, uh, they became sons of God. So it's faith alone in Christ alone that's the important thing for people to know and to understand. That's why we are to, uh, or what we are to do, and it cannot be overemphasized by myself or any evangelist for that matter, or for any believer who has the opportunity to witness for the Lord Jesus. So for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer, which means you pray over your food, not necessarily out loud. Uh, I know I forget many times to do that, and when I do my prayers at night, I go over the menu that I had that day. And I thank God for it, because uh, I'm uh, kind of lazy about certain things, certain times. And uh, that's... Uh, one way of doing it, I'm not recommending it, nor am I recommending that you do it out loud. You do it if you want to. In other words, Colonel Theme used to say, if you're ashamed of the Lord, then don't do it out loud. And if you are, uh, are not ashamed of the Lord, you know, then you won't have any trouble doing it out loud. But I'm not too sure that it's important either way. The important thing is to thank the Lord for the food and set it. Thank you, Lord, for setting it apart apart from the nourishment of our bodies. Because it is sanctified when we indeed thank the Lord for it. Alright, 1 Corinthians 1-2 Unto the church of God which is at Corinth 
to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then verse 3, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking to the church at Corinth. Who very, he, very often he spoke in, uh, derogatorily. He spoke in derogatory terms about, of course, Corinth because they were an unruly bunch in so many ways, uh, but they're called saints of God. Why? Because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then they went south on Paul. In other words, they are a real honorary bunch. And yet they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so they are sanctified by the spiritual death of the Lord Jesus. Now we're going to Hagias. It appears more than 242 times where in the KJV it is translated holy, saint, or saints. As we shall see, it is used as a description of the third person of the Trinity and the born-again believer. When I first read this, I thought, uh, that's unusual, you know. The word for Holy Spirit is Hagias, the same word that's used for us. He's set apart. The Holy Spirit is set apart to do a job. Christ was set apart, sanctified, to do a job. Uh, of course, remember, the Father came up with a plan, and the Holy Spirit agreed to reveal the plan for the very first time. The Holy Spirit and Christ got under the authority of the Father for that first time. And never before had happened before. And uh, that's the same word that is used. Hagias pneuma, actually. Pneuma is a word for either spirit or wind. And it's translated spirit. So look at John 7.39 with me. He says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit, our ghost, was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And this is Christ spoke to the disciples and told them that he was going to go away. And they said, oh no, 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 you're not going to leave us, you know. You're going to set your kingdom up and you're going to get a big white horse and you're going to get an army and you're going to go and get rid of all those Romans, you know. That's what the New Old Testament said you were going to do. He says, no, I'm going away. Then he said, and if I don't go away, then I can't send you the Spirit. Uh, and of course, uh, eventually they'll understand that. It took them a long time to understand that. You know, I've talked to you about the, the very silly prayer that Peter prayed in that second chapter of the book of Acts. And they were all waiting for the Spirit to come right away, right away, you know. So they spent all their money. And, uh, well, you know that story, you know. All right, now let's go on to Acts 1, 11, 15, and 16. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit, our ghost, fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said... John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Uh, in chapter 11, Peter is talking to the people who are questioning him. Why did you go to Cornelius' house? He's a Gentile. You know better than that. You should never go in the house of a Gentile. They're inferior, you know. And uh, you should not have done that. And of course he said, but in chapter 10, he tells them what happens. In chapter 10, the Holy Spirit, of course, came to him 
And uh, he saw the vision and he was told to go take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he did. And when he did, the Holy Spirit, meaning tongues, came upon them just like it did earlier to the Jews. And of course, he's, he is uh, helping people understand it's okay to take the gospel to the, the, the uh, Gentile. But this is the same Peter who later on will have to be, uh, well, Paul will strip him of his rank, so to speak, you know, rip this, the chevrons off his arm and so forth, take his hat off of him and throw it down and put dirt on it because he had fallen in with those who had come from Jerusalem to say you needed to keep the law for salvation and you needed to keep the law for uh, spirituality. And then we find, now we don't hear anything from him for a very long time. In other words, he's got to recover. And then we hear when he writes First Peter and Second Peter, which we have studied, uh, and he's teaching Jews at that particular point in time over in Asia Minor or what we would call back then, Asia. We call it today Turkey. So we studied all that when we studied the book of First and Second Peter. So under the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, reading through verse 13. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So this, of course, was the church at Coloss, where we had the problem with Philemon and Onesimus, and uh, we also had uh, uh, one pastor for Coloss, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. He had quite a job. They were 16 miles apart, and he had to walk and walk back, you know. But the uh, name was a Epaphras, as I recall. Not sure of that, but uh, you can read all about it. Plus, we've also studied the book of Colossians. Alright, Hagiasmas appears ten times, where in the KJV it is translated holiness or sanctification. 1 Corinthians again, one thirty. But of Him, that is the Holy Spirit, are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made, that is, has become, you have genomai, Unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification, hagiasmas, and redemption. And then as noted earlier, Second Thessalonians 2.13, For we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And then dropping down to chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, his wife, in sanctification and honor. Alright, to Hebrews twelve thirteen and 14, make level paths for your feet, so that the lame 
may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Alright, Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And of course, we've also studied the book of Hebrews. And, the, and uh, Hebrews is written in again just before the 70 A.D. It's written in 68 A.D. Before the 70 year dispersion and defeat by the Romans. And it was, uh, they would not turn loose with Judaism. They, they wanted to go back in the temple all the time. And so the writer, anonymous writer of the book of Hebrews is warning them. And he says, I've sent on more than one occasion people to you and told you to stop that. Get with grace and leave the law alone. And they wouldn't do it. So as a result, the Romans took care of the problem for them because he chased all of them out of the, of the city. For 25 years, you could not find a Jew in Jerusalem or in Judah for that matter because the Romans made sure of it. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the city. And uh, sad state of affairs because they would not turn loose of the law. And uh, so they got disciplined. Notice Hebrews 12.10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may be partakers in His holiness. So that's what we find then in the synagogues later and why you have so many synagogues outside of Judah and very few in Judah in terms of remnants. Alright, Hagion is the next word. appears ten times where in the KJV it is translated sanctuary, holiest, holiest of all, holy places, and holy place. Notice Hebrews 9.1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. But no longer because the sanctuary is now in heaven and is not on earth. Hebrews 9.8, the Holy Spirit, this thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. In other words, while it was standing, uh, the full thrust of all of the wonderful things that Christ would provide could not come because it was standing. So it soon would be not standing because in 70 A.D. it would be destroyed. Then verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, like the temple, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Again, a heavenly sanctuary. Then the word hagiosune, sune is a suffix which means in the process of appears three times where in the KJV it is translated holiness. Notice Romans 1, 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, a process in the fear of God. So it doesn't just happen. It has to be a process of holiness. As we take in the Word, take in the Word, take in the Word, fail, name the sin back, fail, name the sin back, 
continued to take in the word of God. Notice First Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness, agiosune, before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. In other words, a, a process of continuing to grow in his grace. All right, let's, now let's look at sanctification and the believer. All right, sanctification is a technical term describing the plan of God in the life of a believer. First of all, phase one, positional, faith alone in Christ alone, top circle. Phase two, time, as we take in the word of God under the filling of the spirit, naming our sin back to God and continuing to grow with uh, in a capacity for blessing and testing uh, as we progress. And then phase three, that which happens when we uh, go to be with the Lord. Excuse me. <clears throat> so sanctification means to be set apart as sacred. Sanctification is a priestly term reserved for only the royal family. And what's the royal family? That's believers. Uh, all believers uh, are sanctified once they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ positionally. Uh, and then, of course, it's up to us to go ahead and complete the process. And we never do complete it, by the way. We just work at it. All right, Jesus' is battlefield victory when he was proclaimed the victor in the angelic conflict demanded the interpretation, excuse me, interruption of the Jewish age and the intercalation of the church age. And you've seen the intercalation chart on more than one occasion. Uh, as it's inserted between two Jewish ages. Uh, of course, uh, as you know, the kingdom age uh, and, of course, the, the uh, tribulation. All right. Uh, and that's a time period to call out a royal family. In other words, the church age. That's where we are today. In other words, the church age begins, hard to say. Some say the cross. Some say 70 A.D., but in any case, it uh, goes on until the rapture of the church, and then we have the tribulation. So having no royal family demanded the church age, so as to call out and acquire a royal family. And that's what he's doing today, and this is the age of the church. As we witness to people, as people hear the Word of God, you see it on the TV now more often, I think, than you've ever seen. Uh, various groups getting the Word of God out. Uh, and that's... Uh, so important to do. And that's our job as, again, royal family. All right, for this purpose, we have been sanctified. Sanctified in phase one so that we can perform in phase two. And one of the important tasks is to uh, to witness. In other words, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asketh anything concerning the hope that is in you. All right, concept. Jesus in the King James Version is called the set-apart one of God. John six sixty nine, And we ourselves have believed in the past with the result we now believe, perfect tense, and we have known in the past, we have known in the past with the result we now know that you are and keep on being the set-apart one, the hagias of God. In other words, Christ is the hagias of God. All right, Jesus in the NIV is called the Holy One of God. 
we of the church age are hagioi, that is to say, set apart in union with Christ as believers. Notice 1 Corinthians 1-2, which we've seen. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, that is Christ Jesus, and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. All right, the adjective hagiatetos describes the state of the set-apartness. Again, back to Hebrews 12.10, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may be partakers in His holiness. Hagiatetas. All right, and you remember Hebrews 12.6, For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. All right, so the noun hagiasune, hagiasune refers to the process of being set apart as holy or sacred. As I've noted, the sune suffix refers to a process of growing toward uh, sanctification. Notice the special use. It is hoped we will move forward uh, toward your maturity when the Lord returns in the heavens to get His family. Notice First Thessalonians 3.13 to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness, hagiosune, before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So the noun, hagiasmas, is used for the forever set apartness in eternity. Notice First Peter 1, 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now the verb form of these nouns, as we noted, is hagiazo, meaning to set apart as sacred or holy. For example, our famous verse, with reference to husbands and wives, Ephesians 5, 25, 26, and 27. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he may sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water of the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy, hagias, and without blemish. All right, targets and agents of sanctification. The targets for sanctification are the souls of the believers. As we have already noted, there are three types. That is, say, three types of sanctification. Uh, phase 1, Phase 2, and Phase 3. Uh, and as far as uh, you have them called positional, temporal, and ultimate. Alright, the method of sanctification as far as Phase 1 and Phase 2 are concerned is faith in Christ. Uh, Hebrews 10.10 10, By the which we are all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So phase one and phase three sanctification is a forever condition. Notice the status of the believer in top circle. We've seen it before on another chart. This one is an isolated chart showing how the cross made possible our union with Christ forever. Eternal relationship, eternal security. Hebrews 10.14 For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. 
All right, that's so much for our study this morning. We'll go ahead and finish this later on. But uh, as we'll look at uh, additional information on sanctification and the methods of sanctification, the agent, etc. But let's close the service, if you will, and dedicate it to anyone who may be within the sound of my voice who is without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life. Certainly God had those folks in mind as He had us in mind uh, when the truth was revealed to us. And God the Holy Spirit is responsible for revealing that truth. The set-apart one. The one set-apart to do that job. So, uh, if your head bowed and your eyes closed, I would ask that you would pray that the Word of God will have full effect. Because anything I say up here is not going to convince anybody of anything, but I know what will, and that is the Scripture. And the Scripture makes clear all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, as uh, we are also told in Scripture, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So he came unto his own Israel, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them who believe on His name. So God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I'll pause for a moment for anyone who may be without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life to do that by simply telling God the Father, I am believing on God the Son, and on the promise of the Word you will be saved. And then after that very short moment, I'll ask God's blessing upon the teaching of the Word today. Father, I would certainly ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real, in order that we might become more like our Lord and Savior, even Jesus the Christ. For it's in His name I pray. Amen.